You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. During the program, nature calls, a neighbour knocks on your door, relax, the program is podcast. You will be able to access the podcast from at 3cr.org.au. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3ECR in Melbourne. And I've just been insulted by the producer, Kelly Whitworth, the world's greatest producer. I was kind of making some movements to the song. And she thought I was having an epileptic fit. She's coming round to give me mouth to mouth. Oh my God, don't say that, Joe. That's terrible. <laughs> but is it true? No, it wasn't true. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. Now, Kelly's put her hand in the barrel. We've got this huge barrel which we keep at Snowtown. No, you, you don't like that, Jack, do you? I don't, no, I don't, that's also a bad one. <laughs> that's right. And we pull out people to interview or chat to. And uh, today. Kelly's done really well. Maria Millers. How are you, Maria? I'm well. You've actually got an S at the end of your name. Sorry? Have you got an S at the end of your... Oh, look, that is so important. You don't know how many years when we moved to Victoria it took um, uh, the telephone people to get it right. Well, that's what I mean. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, Millers, Millers. Tell us about it. The name? Yeah. Look, it totally... um, (laughs) baffles us. My husband was, um, both parents were Russian mm-hmm. and um, we, we sort of got, well obviously it could be German origin because, you know, the lands overlap and they're sort of German speaking and um, or else it could go back right to uh, the times of Peter the Great when he bought out a whole lot of artisans mm. and uh, Millers is also sort of found in Scotland, isn't it? Uh, look, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Yeah, but it goes right back. Actually, I have a document related to my husband's family, mm-hmm. which was signed at the court of Catherine the Great. It's mm-hmm. something to do with a military commission. Right. And um, that's got Millers on it, so it goes, you know, a long way back. You realise you've just stumbled on something there, Maria. Every what? Russian immigrate family after the revolution somehow worked out they had links to the Russian czars. 
They do what? <laughs> that are linked to the Russian Tsar. Russian Tsar. And, <laughs> and you just told us, your link, your husband's oh, link. Yeah. <laughs> so what name's on your birth certificate? On my birth certificate? Yeah, I'm talking. Well, <laughs> mine is also rather odd. Um, my, name, my maiden name was Morrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I recently discovered that actually my father's father was had been adopted so really should have been graham but he his adoptive parents were morrisons and they were from scotland ireland the celtic very celtic um but um uh he his family was very much involved in uh, the east in hong kong and um in the in the wood trade which was quite uh, you know from the turn of the century all those exotic woods Mm -hmm. And my father ended up in Shanghai where he was a teacher and then he was a journalist. And that's where, and he met my mum, who actually had been brought up in virtual Russian city of Harbin in the Manchuria in Mm -hmm. China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's my sort of origin. Right, so were you born in Australia or overseas? No, I was born in Harbin in Manchuria. In Harbin? That, that's that, that's very very exotic. <laughs> very very cold. <laughs> yes. What what can I ask? Can I be personal? And ask you what year you were born? Nineteen thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Yeah, under Japanese occupation. Asian, yes. And mm. uh, when yeah. when did you leave? My mother left first with a brother, mm. like the Trailblazers. She they came to Sydney. To, uh, to see the light of the land. My grandfather said it's time to leave. My mother had at that stage separated from my father. Right. And that's another story because uh, my father's um, activities during that uh, Japanese-Chinese war are really very, very sort of... Uh, um, oh, I don't know what's the word to use, Questiona- Questionable. Oh, questionable, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Exactly, as there's sort of some suggestion it might have been sort of spying. But then he ended up back in, in, in England. He died mm. in Oxford. So, right. Yeah. Um, but my mother came here and um, uh, sort of established somewhere to live and got a mm. job, and that's the story. Mm. What, 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 what year was that? Well, that was 1938, end of 1938. So she left me there, right. yeah. She left you in Harbin? Yeah, we're with grandparents. Yeah, right. And uh, and we came out. I came out in 1939. Mm-hmm. I always say I came out on a leaky boat mm-hmm. because it, was, it wasn't a very. It was um, a commercial freighter. Right. Yeah, and it was a very bad crossing. I've been told. Right. And guess where the first landfall was? Fremantle. No. <laughs> Christmas Island. Christmas Island. Yeah. Did we? Well, there would be nobody there except the uh, Malay, yeah, no, the Malay no, uh, indentured workers in those yeah, days. Yeah, that's right. And then, yeah. then Townsville, then Brisbane, then Sydney. Yeah. Right. So obviously, um, what was life? Did your grandparents say anything about, and your mother say anything about life in occupied uh, China under the well, Japanese? Well, before that, I mean, they were there from very early. My mother went to China when she was a baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather went there in his capacity as a lawyer. Um, it was a Russian city tied to the Eastern Russian um, Railway, which had a branch down to Manchuria. Right. I mean, it was a city with an opera, ha- Russian opera houses and 
and colleges and, uh, you know, it was a, a very vibrant Russian city. Churches, big cathedrals, St. Nicholas Cathedral, beautiful cathedral right. where I was baptised and my mother had been married there, yeah. So what, you baptised in the Russian Orthodox religion? Or? Yes, yes, hmm. yeah. Uh, I actually, I, <laughs> I'm not religious, I'm not, uh, I'm an agnostic, right. but uh, there is one church ceremonies I will never miss or try not to miss, and that's the Easter in a Russian Orthodox church or any Orthodox church because it's such a magnificent ritual, just such wonderful singing and it's it's sort of a a highlight of a a cultural highlight. Yeah, it's a a feast for the senses. Yeah, yeah. The smells. It's not far from where you are at the, 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 the... the Russian Orthodox. That's no, just down the road. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I remember I was um, I was down there a few months ago. And I was wondering what all these people were doing there, and that, yeah. that was the Russian Orthodox Easter. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's you go there and there's no seating. You have to stand through it all. Mm, mm. Uh, but you just it's just the, the singing there is magnificent. The choir. Yeah. Well, you won't believe this. The Russian Orthodox. Church had a profound impact on me as a young lad. Really? Well, yeah, it's kind of a, and a kind of you know it's not directly related, but I was uh, sick when I was young. I was about nine. I had renal failure. I had a, a viral infection. I was, they were waiting for me to die, and I was at the in the Mater Hospital in Woolingabba in Brisbane. As you know, Woolingabba is the Centre for Russian immigrants mm, after, after, mm. after the Russian Revolution. And yes, I, exactly, yes. And I, I remember every day when I'd wake up, I would see this golden dome from the Russian <laughs> Orthodox Church. I, I didn't work out what it was, but it was good to wake up and actually see this beautiful golden dome in the distance. Yeah. Yes. So... What's your first memory of being on planet Earth? I assume it would be in Australia, is that correct? Yeah, I actually, um, my, my grandparents um, didn't want to live in the, in the city in Sydney. They moved out, well, which is now just an outer suburb, outside of Parramatta in a place called Dundas, which was just a little bush then, mm-hmm. on a small sort of property with a lovely old house on it, actually, one of those. 19th century houses and um, so I spent my first years there and um, my, my mother stayed in Sydney to earn a living and I only saw her in the weekends. Right. I was seven. Did you have any, any siblings? No, not until she remarried mm-hmm. when I was about 15 and then right. I had a brother. So it was, was it a lonely childhood? No, no, definitely not. Right. Definitely not. not. Um, so, so what, I, you, you got into things pretty quickly when you came to Australia? Me? Yeah. I, well, well, I lived on this wonderful property. It probably connected me very much to Australian bush because mm-hmm. I I just... I remember that my, my days were spent, I would load up a wheelbarrow and sort of... I don't know why, but I put everything like... That uh, in it, food and whatever, whatever. And I used to just wheel it around the property with a dog. Right. With a big dog. A big black dog mm-hmm. 
that I dare not even mention what his name oh, is. Oh, come on, come on. We're adults. Come on. What was his name? Nigger. Nigger, right. <laughs> Fair enough. We're all victims of our past. Yeah. It's interesting how cultural norms change, can change very rapidly, I think. People yeah. of our vintage understand that. The young people may not, but we do. So did you go to... So what was your, was your first language always English? No, I couldn't speak English until I went to school. Right. I went to school at Our Lady of Mercy in Parramatta. Right. Probably the school that's been made famous by Paul Keating being mobbed by the students there when he was Prime Minister. Oh, right, I don't yes. really remember that image of him. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, yes, I was there for, as I said, till I was seven. Mm. And then I went to Sydney and I went to the... Which is the Sydney Church of England Grammar School for girls. Right. So, so, so your mother felt that a private education was appropriate, did she? Yeah, she did. But then I, we realised at one stage that it wasn't necessarily the best education at that school. It was mm. a school which was actually predominantly for people from properties. Mm hmm. Um, some, some actually were from New Guinea, whose parents were stationed in New Guinea. Um, so at, um, uh, just at what used to be the intermediate stage, I sat for an exam to get into Sydney Girls High School, which was the top state school. Mm. You had to, you had to sit an exam. Right. And obviously you passed with flying colours. Yeah, I, I passed that. So I spent my last years at Sydney University, oh, at, um, at, um, Sydney Girls High School. Well, that's an extraordinary journey, isn't it? You come to Australia, you don't speak a word of English, and then you pass... An examination, what, 10 years? You've been here 10 years. Your mastery of English is yeah. so good that you can get into the top uh, girls' high school in, in, yeah. in Sydney, if not Australia. So you were a bright little button, were you? Oh, I don't know. I, I, no false, I was, no false no, modesty. No, no, no. I, I was good at the humanities. Right. I can't say I was good at maths. I right. never, never have been. Right. Which is a pity because I would have liked to have done economics at uni and I just thought I could never cope with the maths part. Right. I just want to go back a few steps. I'd just be interested, I'm interested in your grandparents. How did they cope? Um, they coped well, actually. Mm. Yes, uh, because they were so, so intellectuals that, you know, as long as they had books and good records and what have you, music... Right. They 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 were quite happy. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Mm. That's that's not. That's... I remember my grandfather picking um, when I actually went in to live with my mother. I would still go back weekends and stay with them, and my grandfather would pick me up from school, and then from then on, we first of all we did all the secondhand bookshops in Sydney, <laughs> and then then we'd get on a train, and I'd get a history lesson all the way back, all to the his place. Right. Yeah, they sound like great grandparents. Yeah. All right. Um, obviously, you graduated from high school. From high school, yes. Yes, I could see you <laughs> thinking, what do you mean I didn't graduate? <laughs> so, did that open any doors for you? Well, I got a Commonwealth scholarship to go to Sydney oh, University right. to do an arts law degree. Right. But at this stage, I had also met my husband or future husband. Right. In fact, I was not quite 15 when I met him. Ooh, 
Well, they'd be frowned on these days, wouldn't it? Well, they would. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that actually this morning. I mean, he was twenty-two. Yes, yes. It's, it's, uh. it's amazing how those things have changed, isn't it? Mm. You know, it wasn't unusual for a fifteen-year-old girl to go out with somebody who's twenty, twenty-five, thirty, even thirty. Yeah. yeah. It's part normal. So, would you meet him at a family function? I met him. No, I met him on a tennis court. We, yeah, we, uh, a tennis club, right? And uh, actually, it was mostly Russian immigrants in this club, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, I needed somebody to go with me to the end of the year of school formal, right? So I actually asked him to take me. Mm. Yeah, and as I said, I was barely fifteen, and he was twenty-two, and he was happy to take you. Well, he did, yes. <laughs> mm. Uh, and things just snowballed. We won't go down that path. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is, a, this is a, you know, we may have kiddies listening. But uh, well, and so did you fi- obviously you finished your university degree, didn't you? No, I didn't finish it then. How come? How come? What, what um, happened? Well, because I decided to get married. I did two years and I didn't go on to the law path right. at Sydney University. Mm. And I was already getting, I was already sort of getting odd jobs. I was, I got some teaching I can't remember the name of the school. It was at um, oh, um, a suburb sort of beyond Newtown. Um, starts with E, I think. Yeah. I I can't, no, look, I can't, can't bring it look, to I, mind. I, I, I've got no idea. Sydney yeah. and me don't get on, so, you know. Right, <laughs> yes. And uh, then, I got, then I got some work in the Daily Mirror. Right. What were you doing uh, in, in the Daily Mirror? I, I was in the um, uh, in the library part, you know, where you did research for the journalists. Right. Yeah, I suppose nobody remembers Eric Bowen, but he was big time journalist then, and uh, he was there at the time that I was there. He's the one that I remember. And so, um, yeah, so I I got married when I was nineteen. Right. Yeah, and but that um, that, that that's that was normal during that period. Yeah. 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 What was the, this? Was the what the early sixties or late sixties? Sorry. What, what year was this? Oh, this was fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was just that's normal. But most, most it was usually a ten-year gap between husband and wife, and mm. uh, you know, people got yeah. married. They'd had their kids by the time they were in their mid twenties. Well, well, I have been the. I had my first one a year later. Right. Uh, and uh, then I had, I think, I, I can never remember how many I had under six, but I had one a year, virtually. One a year? <laughs> how did you cope? Well, I did a book you coped. You didn't sort of carry on. Just, uh, uh, it was so much easier. All right. Well, well I, to begin with, you didn't have to strap them in cars. You just threw them in cars. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you throw them in the back if you had a utility. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we we did a lot of trips, which I, I can't see any of my family doing with their children because, uh, you know, it'd be just too hard. But we've just put mattresses down in the back and they I'll slept f- as we drove. And I feel it. Yeah. Luck, yeah. The luck of the Irish, that's what it was. Yeah. That? Yeah. We forget, you know, what it was like. Well, if you weren't born there, you wouldn't know. But I remember that in the mid-'70s when the... Um, Compulsory seat belt laws were introduced. The, the death toll around Australia was about 3,300 from car accidents, and the population was half that. Mm. And we, we didn't blink. That's the way it was. Yeah. 
So yeah. how many, hold on, I'm going to ask you something I shouldn't ask. How many kids did you finally end up with? Well, I had five, and five. then I had a break of like two years or something, and yeah. then I had another two. Two, that's seven. That's seven, yes. Now, I'm going to ask you that this is a very, you know, we, we ask the hard questions here now. Did you have a washing machine when you had five? No, not to start off with. Whoa! Whoa. Had a copper. Yeah, I remember the old coppers and the... Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's uh, a lot sort of, work. of But yes, it was, and yet yet it wasn't, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't no, think so I didn't... Um, I, as I said, I only did the, the two, years, two years of the arts degree there. But actually, in those two years, probably it set my sort of, um, um, what should I say, my outlook for the rest of my life. I think I was, came under the influence of um, the professor of philosophy. What's his name? Alexander. This is, this, Alexander. This is what, he wasn't part of that, uh, the push, was he? Yeah. He was, he was um, really regarded as a, a radical. yeah. And he was, um, he was, um, um, you know, mentioned in Parliament. Yep. As, no, corrupt, sorry, the, corrupter of youth. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> Socratic, you know, corrupting yes. the youth, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the thing that he taught me was never accept anything, mm. question everything. And I'm afraid, you know, I, I can, I was getting into trouble about that because I never accept anything. I'm fully vaxxed. Right. Uh, but I didn't just rush in and and do it. I mm. investigated it and I and I felt that it was the right thing to do. Mm. Certain risks, but it's, I still felt it was the right thing to do. But I didn't accept it just because my doctor said you got to do it, which she did say. Yeah. Right. Mm. Well, I'm a doctor. You don't tell people you've got to do it. You say, well, if you don't do it, you've got an increased risk of dying. And you explain it all and say, well, it's up to you. Now, that, that's amazing. Yes, the, he, would be part, he would have been part of the Sydney push, that, that radical uh, element, the libertarian radical element at the university there, which was the, you know, it was everybody thought they were beyond the pale, if I remember correctly. Mm. Yeah. Yes, there was that group that sort of gravitated around around the philosophy department. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. But that was before um, probably the the more highly profile uh, uh, Jermaine Greer. Yes, it was before then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she was. She and was the great. guy that the art critic um, Hughes, Robert Hughes. Yeah, that's right. They all they, yeah. they evolved from that, but there was this philosophical yeah. libertarian that's right, basis yeah. based on. It. Individual mm-hmm. liberty. Oh, well, they did corrupt you, and at your age, you're still corrupted. Just I am. I question everything. I'm, <laughs> I'm an inveterate letter writer and, and, and article writer and all that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So seven. What's that? Seven children, one husband, journalist. How long did all this go for? Uh, what what went for? Well, well, you know, I mean, well, we having were, seven kids—that's that's a big responsibility. Yeah, when we we moved from my husband's job took him from Sydney. Oh, actually, we first of all we moved from Sydney to Newcastle for the uh, for the steelworks. That's he he got work. He, well, he was the personnel officer of the steelworks when there were steelworks mm. in Newcastle, mm. and um, I actually started to to act. To look at 
doing something in radio. And there were three radio stations in Newcastle. And they were all on the main stretch, Hunter Street. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll start with the top one and, and work through them and see whether... I, I had an idea for a program. And I walked into the first one and got a very good reception. And um, they, they went along with me. And so I, I had a program, and more or less a bit like yours. All right, well, so you wandered in. How old were you? Oh, well, I, at that stage I was in my 20s. 20s. You walk, yeah. in, walk in off the street. Yeah, right. yeah. These days you'd have to go past security before... Oh, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't do anything like that. You no, said you, you just walked do. in and you said, this is what yeah, I want I to do. I, well, last, I said I wanted to see the manager. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Robinson was his name. Right. And um, uh, could, um, yeah, well, I, was, I just saw him straight away, you know. Straight yeah. away he saw me. Yeah. And uh, he mulled over my idea of, you know, an interview-based program. Right. And, um, yeah, I got it. And that was it. Well, that was the start, yes. Yeah. And you'd, you'd, had, you'd had no training in... Or no, did, or no did, training. Or did you have your own panel operator? They had their panel operator Oh, no, no, days. nobody left me anywhere near anything technical and to right. this day nobody ever left Look, me look, Maria, Maria, I, I, I love you platonically. <laughs> I'll tell you why. I've been, I do a number of programs on this radio station. I've been here 43 years and I've never pushed a button. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm just a dinosaur. Because everybody can do everything that's technical and they yeah. pride themselves on it and they look at you and they think, really, Joe, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you went through your whole radio career without pushing a button. That's right. No, well, I'm still doing radio on um, 3MDR. Right. Um, and uh, you're, still not, push, you're not, still not pushing still the buttons? Still not pushing any buttons. I've oh. actually been 3MDR for quite a while, but I'm... Never, ever push the button. Ah, look, we, we are a vanishing breed. <laughs> uh, I saw John Laws once. I saw him at work and I thought, you know, John Laws, he never pushes a button. He never well, he pushes a, a button. He was my competition in Newcastle. He was he your competition. Tell, tell us about that. Well, well in competition in the, in the sense that he was down the road and my, my program sort of um, cut into his. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How did you choose your interviews? I just found them, yeah. Right, so yeah. obviously you didn't have the luxury of a producer or anything? Uh, not really, right. not, not really. There was a, there was a, an assistant to the manager who was very, very helpful. And right. If I asked her anything, she would do it. But I actually, I fell pregnant during the, my time there mm -hmm. and... Um, I um, and that well, I stayed there right till actually I stayed there till I was ten months pregnant because oh, ten months. <laughs> I, I actually had always very long pregnancies, right. and um, uh, I don't know whether you remember um, an American um, pianist, Winifred Atwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well, one of the things that was good in Newcastle, you got so many um, uh, celebrities that would come up to Newcastle. And, and so you could in Googie Withers and John McCallum I interviewed and, and stacks of those. But I was too pregnant to, to actually... What happened was that if they came up from Sydney by train, actually celebrities came by train, um, the last stop be, before Newcastle was Morissette right. and the, the press people would go down and then do the last leg of the trip 
with the celebrity and do an entree and interview. Right. And I couldn't go. I just didn't dare to go. Right. And so um, I was sort of thinking, oh, I missed out on a good interview. And then suddenly, um, in she walks, Winifred Atwell. Right. And she said, Which, where is Maria? Because <laughs> that, that was my, my program, was right. Maria. Yeah. And um, because she had asked, she'd had a list of all the people who were interviewing her, and she, she said, which one of you is Maria? And they all went, hee-haw, you know. <laughs> yes. And so she, she came straight up to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so when yeah. I, the panel guy flipped the thing, and I said to her, how, how would you like me to call you? And she said, just call me Winnie. Yeah. So you met some fascinating people. Yeah, 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 I, mm. I did, yeah, mm. I did. So well, did you learn anything? I mean, you've met a lot of fascinating people. Have you learned anything? Are they, are they a little bit like us? They kind of breathe and go to the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yes. Uh, you, you were never starstruck, were you? No. No, that's good to see. Because yeah. I, I hear, sometimes you hear interviews and you hear, they're not asking the right questions. They're just starstruck. They just can't believe yeah. it. They're talking to somebody they've, you know, they've admired for so many years. Not that we ask any hard questions here, obviously. Now, how long did you last as a, at that radio station? Well, I was also concurrently doing some television work. What type of television work? Oh, I was one of those panel shows, you know, Beauty and the Beast type of thing. Oh, were well, you the Beast or the Beauty? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. So I I did did that. But then then we moved. We moved to Sydney and finally to to Melbourne. This is all part of my husband's work. Right. And so um, so I went back to to um, and we also needed a big house. We really needed a big house. And so we bought a place in Fernie Creek, which was um, it had been an. It had been, it was called a hospital, but I suppose it was for aged people. Mm. And it had been shut down, I think, because of, you know, health regulations and so on. But it was a huge house on a rambling four acres and of sort of overgrown garden. Uh, and so we, we moved into there. That's the bush in those uh, well, days. Well, it was then. Now it's tourist land. Yeah, it's tourist land. Yeah, cuckoo yeah. land, as they say. But yeah. that was the bush in those days. In those days. Yeah, yeah but, but there are a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of old houses that have been there for a long time. Mm. Yeah, no, no, it, 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 was, it was lovely. My children had a wonderful childhood there. Yeah. You know, no helicopter parenting. You know, they, they would what, you it. let them get bitten by the bull ants? <laughs> <laughs> when I think about it, you know, they walk through whatever, I don't know how long, uh, to their school, through the bush. You know, you would never, you would never think of letting a child yeah. do that today. Yeah. yeah. Do, do, do you know, do you know that there's, that area up there in the hills has got a fascinating history? Because in the eighteen, maybe slightly you know it, but in the eighteen nineties there were unemployed riots in Melbourne. Yes. Yes. And the way the government tried to resolve the issue was actually yeah. allocate five acres of land. Any, I know. Yeah, I know. yeah, the bush blocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah bush blocks. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah, and they used to walk from Fernie Creek up to their bush block to get there. I think Ferntree Gully, sorry, once a week to get their groceries. As long as you lived on the block, you were yeah. all right. Yeah, it's an amazing yeah. history, isn't it? Amazing. 
yeah. in Calarama, there was the, um, what was his name? There was that famous postmaster in the 1890s. It was a well-known, um, oh, I've forgotten. It, it was well-known anarchist and a foundation member of the Melbourne Anarchist Club in 1886. He got burnt out, yeah. No, it's got a fascinating history. I mean, oh, there were a lot of really interesting people in yeah, those days in yeah, the hills. Yeah. That's why, actually, I started... Um, I, I started a writers' group, right? And um, it was amazing the people that actually joined the group. Um, again, you may or may not know the names of Margaret and Arthur Howells. Mm. I thought you may be referring to them when you were talking about anarchists because they lived at Alinda. Yep. And I believe Frank Hardy wrote his uh, the book about um, John Wren, yes, or Power and the Glory yep. in in their back in their back bungalow. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and you know they were so actually they joined my group and um, Jim Cairns actually used to come right and and um, the group evolved into thinking we've got so much good talent here let's put together a, a magazine mm-hmm. which we did and what was it called it, it was called Warilla after the name of my house or right. property Warilla and um, well the magazine went through Till 2014 was the, no sorry yeah, maybe 2013 was oh. the last one. So how many years did you publish the magazine for? Well, well, it must have been what is it? Like, let me work it out. Just roughly, yeah. Tw- well, twenty odd years. Twenty yeah. odd years. So you would have yeah. had some fascinating people put articles into that. Oh, definitely, definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and we did it all without a cent from any. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to say that I think the. Sherbrooke Council gave us a three hundred dollar seeding loan. Right. Yeah, and or or get a donation, and that was it. After that, we relied purely on sales, and I'm very proud of that that we, that we did that. Yes. And and from that, in I, in 1989, I actually also launched the Warilla Poetry Prize, which is now become an international poetry prize. A poetry prize. Yeah, yes. Uh, last last um, Sunday was the awards event for, mm-hmm. for the 2021 prize. And um, the we had entries from seven overseas countries. Right. So, uh, so, and unfor- I say unfortunately because I would have liked in the youth section to get an Australian winner. But in the youth section, it was just all India, Canada, Philippines, mm. Indonesia, you know. Mm. So, so what, do you, do you do it through a website these days? Or? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I gave your producer actually the website, you know, warilla.org.au. How, how do you spell Warilla? W-O-O-R-I-L-L-A. And you still live on that property? No, mate. Made three moves now. No, two moves. Two moves, right. Yes. Um, right. Um, uh, if you, you can actually also watch the awards ceremony, which was a really great event last Sunday, on Warilla Facebook. Right. So if, if anyone's interested, they can do that. On the Facebook. And is there a criteria for entry? Um, well, we have two sections. Right. We have the open section, which we've called it the... Judith Rodriguez um, open section because the poet Judith Rodriguez, who who died a couple of years ago, 
was my first judge and remained, and she actually supported the the poetry prize by by always, you know, being being there and and helping out and so forth. And she's so highly regarded, uh, so it's in her honour. And the junior youth prize is in the name of Louise Rockney, who's also well known as a publisher of poetry mm. and and a librarian. So they were the two two sections. Um, there, there are no really criterions. You just enter. We, there is a fee for the for the open section, right. but not for the junior. We we let that go without a fee. Right. And you get overwhelmed with entries. Um, yes. Well, we had we had um, seven hundred entries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Which what I you, think it's good. So what do you think? makes an interesting, I won't say good, but what makes an interesting poem? Oh, well, what makes a good poem is that it connects with the listener or the reader. Firstly, I think it has to connect on an emotional level, but then, because poetry is not about flowers, you know, and whatever, mm. it, it's actually about gutsy issues. Uh, the best poetry is. Mm. And that certainly was about the winning poem this year and in, and in previous years. And and then it's got to actually, it's got to, as I said, first the emotion and then with your reason, but it's also got to be, choose the language, the most powerful language and language at its best and its most concise. And also it's got to have that sense of, of being, of having rhythm and being musical. Right. So it's, can be very difficult. A good poem is difficult. Mm. You don't just write it in, in an afternoon. So you don't just wake up in the morning and say, oh, I thought of this, and down it goes. Well, you can wake up with an idea, but yeah. then you've got to work on it. Yeah. What, what do you think of the concept of concrete poetry? As in, uh, what, you mean in putting it in different shapes? Yeah. No. Not your thing. No, no, I understand. Now, look, I've got a friend who's in his 80s and, and, and his wife's still alive. They had five children. They got 45 grandchildren, eight great-grandchildren. I was at his, I think, 85th birthday party a few years ago and I said to him, how do you remember them all? He says, I don't remember their names, but <laughs> I just say hello. That's so, like me. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Ask how many, how many grandkids and how many great-grandkids. I've got 20 grandchildren and 20. five great-grandchildren. Right. Do you ever have a big family gathering? Well, Christmas was always our big family gathering, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how we're going to how we're going to do it. But one of the reasons is that um, after after Fernie Creek, my husband and I decided to uh, move out even further, right? And we moved to Macclesfield, yep, uh, on on acreage, and uh, um, we tried to be farmers. Right. <laughs> weren't very good farmers, and my husband died in two thousand and one, and and I actually sort of, um, well, it was just impossible. Everybody, everybody was doing other things in the family. Didn't want to sort of. Yeah. Well, they just didn't have the time to come and no. splash paddocks, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, so I moved into Emerald. Yeah, well, it's a pleasant little place. Well, it's not so little now. It's not the no, emerald I knew no. many years ago. Remember when you got the, the new turnabout and you got the big supermarket? So that's not your emerald. But 
There are still I, pockets. There are still pockets. Yeah. Yes. You mean you mean the the fresh food people? Yeah, that type. Yeah, I didn't didn't I just didn't identify them. You know, I just said a supermarket. Yeah. What I you, am what? so angry about that that supermarket, but that's another story. What, the fact that they're there, or the, the fa- fact that they're there, yeah. yeah, and the fact that so many people. <laughs> didn't want it there, but then when, when it was there, they still went, they went there, well, or they go there. Well, that's the issue, isn't it, you know? They we make have, a commercial decision. There's a bit of a protest, especially in those areas, as yeah. we saw with uh, the McDonald's thing. And um, once they're established, it's like a cancer. They just grow. <laughs> well, we, we've got a, a supermarket, a manageable one down the other end of town. Which, right. And I must say that it's an IGA, and I've got to say it because they actually donated to the Wurula Poetry Prize. Right. The, the, well, the IGA from head office. So I, I thank their CEO, Fred Harrison. I ma- I've made his life difficult since I came to Emerald because I kept telling him what, how to run his supermarket. Fair enough. And what do you like about living in Emerald? What do I like about it? Well, I like the fact that um, I chose what some people would probably describe as a knockdown house. It's certainly not going to survive after I'm gone. Mm. Um, I mean, it's quite comfortable, but it's but it's a renovator's whatever. It's really De- like, renovator's delight. They call them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I chose it because it had a it's a big big block. Which again is probably a stupid thing to have done, and it had a huge apple tree and a huge apricot tree that bears these wonderful apricots that you haven't seen in decades right. in the shop. Mm. Bright orange inside, and so well, and course, they actually taste. Oh, they taste <laughs> magnificent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it had it had some huge trees. All of these things have given me problems, of course, but because uh, um, since moving here, I've sort of become. Um, I've, I've had. Um, I broke my hip. The first thing I did was break my hip when I moved into yeah, this safe right. area. Not mm. on. My family would say you you'll end up breaking your hip at the farm. Yep. No. I broke it at just walking down the pathway yep. here. Yeah. What you slipped. Uh, and. Um, don't know. I don't know. Yes, something, something like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, what was that experience like? I mean, I used to do. I, I, when I was much younger, more well, thirty years ago, I used to do hip surgery on people, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> How did you feel about it when you had it done? Are you brutal that what the the uh, the procedure? The procedure is brutal. Procedure. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing uh, subtle about you know fixing a broken hip. You know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing subtle about it. You know. No, well, actually, I I, I recovered very quickly with that, mm. but I I then developed a balance problem, and that's more yeah. of an issue for me than than having. That's right. Yeah. yeah, but I've got a I've got a trolley. Yep. And I can walk for miles with that. With the trolley. Oh, that's good, mate. You must have a good heart then. Well, Physically and emotionally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you've been, you've been around on the planet a long time. You've seen a lot of things. You've grown yeah. up a lot of kids. And what do you think about what's happening these days? Um, I think 
But you mean, do you mean COVID or you mean generally? Generally, Jen. Yeah. COVID's I'm, just an added yeah. bonus. Well, I think we've reached, I think we actually, I've, I've read three books recently. One is called uh, De-Growth, which actually argues that what we should do, that we should all um, step back from our, you know, our obscenely high standard of living and and uh, and sort of step back to allow us, you know, of course, for, to do with the environment and so forth. Of course, I don't know how you do that with those poor people that are still in, in dire pro- poverty in Africa and so forth. Well, you've got 7 billion people on the planet, so... Yeah. And most of them do live in poverty. A lot well, of them do of live them in poverty. do live in poverty. Yeah, so, sure. then, so it's... it's uh, and and the other one which I've really got to me was um, reset. Professor Golden from um, University um, of Oxford said we have got an opportunity to reset the world, and he he argued that after World War One, there was a missed opportunity to reset the world, and and that of course led, as we know, you know, to rise of Nazism and mm. Second World War. He said, after the Second World War, we actually did better. We actually, you know, the United Nations, the welfare state, certain international sort of monetary funds and what have you, and it was okay for a while. But now, it's 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 gone off the rails. Mm. And you, you realise the word reset has got a different connotation in twenty twenty one. A different connotation. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't think you've been. Uh, yeah, there's this um, particular. There's a belief. It's a belief system based on you know creating the alternative universe in inverted commas. And there's people out there peddling this idea that we're in a period of reset where you know ninety percent of the world's population is going to be killed off because of the vaccine. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to reset the, the clock. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, it's, it's interesting how words change. I mean, you're a journalist, you're a writer, you're yeah, a poet. Probably, an, probably an unfortunate choice for his book then. Yeah. Yeah, well, now, but I assume when he put it out... It, well, it, it's recent. It's very it? recent. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And the third book, actually, yeah. um, which I've just actually got and uh, started to look at, what happens on the day the world stops shopping? Whoops. You're my you're my living nightmare, Maria. We, you want us to stop shopping? What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's because it's not easy to stop shopping. No, it's not. I mean, not easy from the economy point of view. Well, what is? I mean, we, I, it's very easy to stop shopping on a personal level. Mm, believe me. Mm, it's very, especially the older you get, the less you need. Uh huh. Well, that... Apart from medical intervention, if you want to live forever. Yeah. I've only just started the book, so I can't tell you what right. solution he gives. Right. Yeah. Have you got a book in you, or have you, done, have you written books already? The funny thing is that I've actually been asked to, um, um, I think it's t- twice or three times I was asked, it was actually offered... A, contract to write a book. I do a lot of editing. I've actually edited a lot of books because I also 
I also teach at the community house here and have done for years a NACFI course for adults, for writers, people who want to be writers. But um, I've, and some of my students have gone on to do really, really well. Um, but I'm, after, at one stage, and I didn't tell you this earlier, um, I, had, I had been teaching um, at a school called ERA, which was the Educational Reform Association. And um, I was, uh, I loved the kids there. I loved teaching the kids, but I just felt the, the school with its, it was based on the philosophy of A.S. Neal, the educationalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but I, I sort of, I, it will it actually burnt you out. The system burnt you out. And I just got a job to go to Box Hill TAFE, which was setting up an educational radio station. Mm-hmm. And they and uh, I got that job, and a week before I was to start the job, my daughter and I went shopping at Forest Hills and never came home. Um, we were both. My daughter was critically injured. She survived, oh. mm. but um, and I was badly injured too. So were you attacked physically, or were you? Yeah. Oh well, my physical was broken bones. Right. With her, it was a brain injury. Right. Um, and. Um, but but I also had I had the same minor injury, so that I it took me a long time to actually get o- over that. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, and um, yeah. Actually, I've forgotten why I started to tell you that. <laughs> well, well no, right. no, that's important. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know what what we were talking about. Well, look, don't worry about that. But the thing yeah. is, the thing is, look, it's important. I mean, here you are you going on for what you think is just an, a shopping expedition, and the next thing you find yourself, I assume you, yeah. you're assaulted and um, you're in hospital, and you assume your daughter was unconscious if she had a, a brain. Yeah, injury. well, she's got lifelong. Oh, um, mm. her left side is sort of that semi-paralysed feel about her. Mm, yeah. That's terrible. Well, was it one of these mindless attacks, or it was just someone on the wrong side of the road? Right, right. Yeah. Right. In a big car and we were in a mini minor. Right, and bang. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does, yeah. Teach, it does teach you about life, doesn't it? About how it's it's a moment-to-moment proposition. Yeah. Well, well, well that's, that's right, yes. Mm. Yes. No, I, I can't remember why we got on to that. No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about So the complaint, what do you think about the complaint culture we have in this country? Oh, I find it sometimes annoying. In fact, sometimes, you know, I'm not excusing for one minute what's sort of going on in in Parliament at the moment. Mm. Uh, but but I, I I just sort of I, I I do get annoyed with and uh, and I think that women are giving up their agency in a way would with, with uh, they're coming out of view to me. I don't understand why mm. they can't say no. And I know that it's the, the, the latest thing, it's imbalance of power. That's, that's what's trotted out. Mm. Um, now, I'm sure that existed when, when I was working in the media, in, in television and, and in radio. Uh, but, all, but you just, you know, you just had to, you could handle it. Right. What, why is it different now? Maybe it's, it's uh, more pre- prevalent. Maybe more people are exposed because there's more women who enter the workforce and find themselves in that situation. And, mm. you know, and, uh, not everybody can stand up for themselves. There's a lot of pressures on people, as you know. 
Not, a pre- not everybody's got the gift that you've got of uh, questioning everything. Questioning everything, yeah. Mm, your mm. philosophy uh, professor taught you when you yeah. were very small. Because a, lo- a, lot of, a lot of education, if you work for an A.S. Neal school, you know that a lot of education is very homogenised these days. And yeah, yeah. We tend yeah. to sit back. I mean, when I was talking about complaint culture, I was talking about the two prominent tribes in Australia, you know, that somebody should do something about that tribe and the Gunner tribe. You know, I just find it... Are you talking about parliamentary? No, no, just in society as a whole, you know. You hear people say, oh, somebody should do something about that. Yeah. Or you hear people, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and they never get round to it. And no wonder we get the parliamentarians we've got. Can I just tell you um, that I get, and my my friends, I actually have a little group, although we've been very irregular in getting together because of all the COVID, Mm. where I said, look, we get together... We have a meal, and you're not allowed to talk about anything but other than politics, religion, and sex. Ah, good, I like it. <laughs> and we, we had lovely, lovely, lovely luncheons, mm. and, the, and it was quite interesting. Once Nobody had any problems in talking about any of that. And then one day, I introduced the topic of death. Right. And there was such an incredibly... Negative reaction to that from a couple of people, um, yeah. and was like, "Please don't ever bring up death again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I've dealt with death for a long time. Yeah, and um, it's interesting how we've actually kind of. Death is an afternoon. I find these days you can get a cheap funeral if you have a funeral in the morning. So the people can go back to work in the afternoon. Just, yeah. I mean, we've got um, uh, David G, who's you know died, and they're going to go through a, a morning ritual, which could take yeah, uh, yeah. You know, weeks, months, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even longer. And that's 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 the way they deal with Beth. But we tend to just push it aside in the corner, and you know, morning when funerals. When my grandmother had a stroke and she mm. was in hospital, we brought her home to die. Mm. And then she was, I, I, I think she was in, in, in the front bedroom for mm. at least two days. Right. Yeah. And we just all, we would just wander in. Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're not allowed to do that now, are you? Depends well, it depends. It depends. Yeah, it depends what type of family you're in. I mean, you can bring people home to die. So but we've got about keep... three or four minutes left. Have you got any advice? You've been on the planet a long time. You've seen a lot of things. You've got, you know, you've done a lot of things. Oh, well, actually, I just remembered what, we, what I was leading to when I sort of backtracked and lost the thread. Before the accident, yep. Yeah, what, I'm, what I was... What I get annoyed with my friends, and, and they know I get annoyed with them because I actually tell them this. Now, they all have opinions and they have and criticisms of things, but they will not say them out loud. They won't own them. And you know, and now to do now, I'm very much um, involved in in writing about Julian Assange. Yeah. Mind you, I've tried in many ways to actually get articles and and letters in in a back way, but the main media doesn't want to write about Julian Assange. That's right. Yeah. I've I've got I've had articles published on the Australian um, independent media. But um, I tried to back way with the age because I, I wrote a piece about um, 
how the uh, uh, the Nobel Prize Peace recipients how how political it was and how you know I mean when they give it to Henry Kissinger when they give That's it to right. Obama when he hasn't done anything yeah. you know when and so forth um, and I said well why don't why can't they consider Julian Assange and and of course the minute I put Julian Assange in it didn't get into the age it got into the Australian independent media. Well, he questions their journalism, basically. The fact that he didn't go to a particular school. Look, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Maria Millers, with an S. With an S. You've been on the planet a very long time, and um, you're very active, and your mind's as sharp as ever. Thank now, you. You're not going to tell me now you've got COVID-19, that little I'm cough in the back. I'm coughing. Yeah, coughing, yeah, coughing. <laughs> And uh, uh, it's really been a pleasure talking to you because it's you uh, too. all we've been able to do is open up a few uh, windows. You can't encapsulate a life that's uh, over eighty years in, uh, you know, in fifty six minutes. But um, yeah. a parting word. You have got a minute. A parting word for the young. We must have one listener under fifty listening to the program. For the young, <laughs> yes. Well, I think they should keep on doing what they're doing. They they seem to be far more involved than the older people. Well, they are. Yeah. They are. You hit, mm. hit the nail on the head. We're, we're, yeah. You've got yeah, old people like us that from the 60s and 70s that got involved, and then you've got this, these two or three generations that are just peddling because they've got to pay so many bills, they get nowhere. Mm. If you heard the poetry from the youth section read out at the Gorilla Poetry Prize last Sunday, mm. you would have been stunned how involved they are. Right. Can you give us those sites again as a part? At, uh, so well, people the, can the access it. The website for mm. Warilla is warilla.org.au. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to uh, listen, to watch the um, the actual event, go on to Facebook, the Warilla Facebook. Great. Well, thank you, Maria Millers. Thank you for thank uh, you. Uh, spending an hour of your life with us. All, our time is limited on the planet. and. Uh, it's been enjoyable. Well, good. When you get to 100, can you invite me to your 100th birthday party if I'm still around? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a date. Thank you. Okay. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.